2: To the Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film inspired by a new release. I'm Scott Tobias. I'm here with Tasha Robinson, Keith Phipps, and behind the scenes producer Genevieve Kosky. Along with Rachel Handler, who will join us for a future episode, we were the editorial team at The Dissolve, the late lamented film site from Pitchfork Media. We've designed The Next Picture Show to carry some of the spirit of that site over to this podcast. Tasha, Please explain.
0: Well, one of the core principles that guided The Dissolve was the idea that no film exists in a vacuum. There's history and context in every new release, and part of the joy of being a cinephile is making those connections. One signature feature at The Dissolve was the Movie of the Week, where we'd focus on a single film through a keynote essay, a group discussion forum, and a secondary essay. The next picture show is our attempt to combine Movie of the Week with the Movies of the Day. Each episode will look at a new movie through the prism of an old movie, which will give us a chance to see what those two films have in common and what they say about the cinematic landscape. Scott, tell us how we're doing that this episode.
2: Well, Tom McCarthy's spotlight is getting lots of acclaim right now for its treatment of the Boston Globe's investigation into the Catholic Church's sexual abuse scandal and its victims. That inspired us to devote this week's The Next Picture Show to one of the fourth estate's finest couple of hours on celluloid. Alan J. Pakula's 1976 classic, *All the President's man Yep. Mercy. I think I got a lead on Dolph. Uh, oh, I just—I got it. Right. I just talked to him. I just hung up from him. And Bernstein, listen, it goes all the way to Stans. What are you talking about? It
1: goes all the way to Stans. He gave the check to Stans for the committee to reelect. Did he say that? He said it.
2: I've got it on my notes. Jesus. It's down <laughs> on record, Bernstein. And that money winds up in the bank, kind of a Watergate burglar. Yes. Fantastic. I'm coming home. Okay. The idea behind The Next Picture Show is to break down each discussion into two parts, one focusing primarily on the past, and the other on how it relates to the present. So in this episode, we'll break down the journalistic approach to All the President's Men and the value of telling a story about finding a story. Then, in episode two, which will drop later this week, we'll go deeper into All the President's Men and how it relates to Spotlight in our forum conversation, digging into its style, themes, politics, and lasting impact on the movies. And finally, we'll end with your next picture show when we discuss some of our recent film-related experiences that should be on your radar. So grab your notepad and a pack of smokes. We're heading back to the Washington Post newsroom circa 1972. All the President's Men was released in April 1976, two years after the publication of the book on which it's based, by Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. The book also came out the same year Richard Nixon resigned from office due to the fallout from Woodward and Bernstein's reporting. The turnaround time was remarkably fast, which seems appropriate for a movie about journalists who are used to working on tight deadlines. Woodward and Bernstein surely had no idea that their investigation would bring down a president. They just started with an unusual burglary and kept tugging on threads until the whole operation unraveled. The movie All the President's Men, like Spotlight, takes the same approach. By following Woodward and Bernstein's reporting as one nugget led to the next, the film was justifiably confident it would say something profound about the country without making any big statements. It's the classic procedural. By following the characters as they're gathering information, we get a feel for the world around them. And that world is the true subject of the film. All the president's meant is an affirmation of the importance and vitality of the Fourth Estate, but more than that, it's about the mood that settled in over the country. None of us were alive to experience it, but between the Vietnam War and the resignation of a sitting president, any faith that Americans had in their institutions of government were obliterated in short order. The fallout from that is baked into the mood of All the President's Men, which is sober, paranoid, and dread-soaked. This is an extremely talky movie that has a lot of information to get across, but it's the tone of the film that lingers for me. What about you, Keith? What stands out for you about All the President's Men?
1: there's a lot of information in it and I think it conveys that really well I feel like I, I learned something when I watched this film um, and then forget it and then and then learn it again when I watched it repeated times but it is it is more than anything you're right I think the mood that, that really kind of makes the movie to me there's a sense that toward the end there, Woodward and Bernstein are warned that their lives may be in danger but it almost seems redundant the whole film is kind of shot through with this sense of nothing is stable and everything's unsteady you know nothing's what it what it seems to be what it looks like a simple burglary is in fact goes all the way up as, as i think is, is a phrase that's thrown around a couple of different times in this film because yeah. it goes all the way up and these are just five guys seemingly breaking into uh, uh the headquarters for reasons they you know it might just be as, as someone says crazy cubans doing something but it's not but that's not apparent until you start digging and the more they dig the, the 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 more they find and and the darker it gets and and of course the film also is literally very dark, which we can talk about some more too. What about you, Tasha?
0: Well, I mean, it really fits in with the paranoia thrillers of the '70s. There's a feeling past a certain point in the film where literally everybody in Washington knows what's going on, except the people investigating it. And most <laughs> of the people not only know what's going on, but are are dreading the two of the, the these two reporters like finding out. But there also gets to be a tone, and I think we'll talk about this more with with Spotlight because the films share it so much. There's also almost a tone of like frustration with these reporters. It's like, mm-hmm. why aren't you figuring this out? Like, we all know it, why aren't you figuring it out and exposing it? I think a lot of the... So,
2: where's the frustration coming from?
0: Oh, from the people that they're interviewing. When they they keep turning up uh, increasingly as the film goes on, they spend more and more time on people's porches or forcing their way in, like Jack Lemon in Glengarry Glenn Ross. It's a real feeling from time to time of like, you know, Niborg level, uh, <laughs> sticking foots in, into George jams and just, I'm getting in there by any means possible. Uh, and then the attitude that they get from people is, you need to go away I'm being watched. You know, they'll find out, and I'll get into trouble. Yes? Hi. Hi. Miss Milan, Betty Milan. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm Bob Woodward, uh, Carl Bernstein. We're from the Washington Post. Oh, We'd like-
0: I know you're trying to do your job. I mean, you don't understand the pressure that we're under. I, but, just take a couple but, of uh, seconds. We
2: just come in for a couple oh, of seconds. Oh
0: no, no, I, I really. No, don't. we don't
2: want to come in. We uh, we understand that there was uh, mm-hmm. some
1: documents that were shredded at the committee. Uh,
0: well, there, uh, there's often
1: shredding. I mean, we do that a lot. Were you there during the shredding? Yes, I was. I see. Were there any department heads uh, from the committee who were also present?
0: Uh, yes. Mr. Mitchell came in one night. Uh. John Mitchell? <laughs> yes. the Attorney General? Uh-huh. He was carrying a ring <laughs> over his his head, you You're know? <laughs> I mean, I thought he was going to go, hoo hoo <laughs> But, uh, uh, I... Did You I, I,
1: supervise uh, the shredding?
0: Uh, I, I just... Can I not answer any more questions? I just do so not... Okay? Maybe I could call you.
2: It's, it's, uh... Are you being told not to talk? Will you call?
0: I don't know. Mm-hmm. but there're also, also for me just seems to be a certain amount of institutional exasperation with them of why aren't you why aren't you breaking the damn story so that, that we can get on with our lives maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting based on the mm-hmm. the looks that you guys are giving me but for me i mean in spotlight there is kind of that thing at the end of why didn't you break this earlier and i felt that a little bit throughout the second half of all the president's men
2: so you're feeling this but i mean i think there's kind of some impatience in all the president's men on the part of of the of the editor saying we we need we need more information we need you need to lock this thing down etc but you're saying that the people that they're actually talking to for the story are like you guys are behind you need to kind of catch up deep throat's kind of get has a couple scenes where he's like
0: you haven't figured it out yet i think it's almost a sense
1: of can't you just do this without me, guys? You know, that's, like, that's, yes. that's, yeah. See, I think what he's, that's the key point. Just, just I want. It's not, I don't want to send you away, but just, but, but you know, deal me out on this. You know? I yeah. can't
0: be the one that exposes the president, but the president's a creep. Could you please expose him? Yeah. <laughs> just none of us can speak to it, and that sense of of the two of them, it's like their entire career, their entire life is is based around uncovering secrets and bringing things to light, and everybody knows what the secret is except them, and mm. for. a film that's just so low-key and and buttoned down and and shoe-leather focused. I think that's where it gets some of its tension is just this feeling that everybody knows the secret except them.
2: That's interesting. I never really thought of it that way because I, I kind of appreciated, you know, just uh, you know, that that shoe leather aspect of it, and I actually appreciated their instincts as reporters. I mean, I, I almost feel like, and maybe you're not, I feel like you're underrating them as reporters a little bit. Really? How uh, so? Well, I mean, by just saying that, hey, you know, this this everybody knows what this is. Why can't you? Why can't you guys kind of get to the bottom of it? Oh
0: God, no, no. I mean, this, this was a brilliant act of. Inv- investigative journalism and like all respect to them for sticking by it and for repeatedly having the instincts to to uncover this i mean can you imagine what american politics would be like today if nixon had just gotten away with it and subsequent, subsequent presidents had just sort of operated under the, the cruise control of we can do whatever we want i mean no i'm not i'm not dissing them I at can't, all <laughs> i mean
2: some of them have sort of operated uh, that way anyway <laughs> i think i think That's there's a just, different podcast. But I, think, but I think there's also more and this is instilled by that is It's just that that feeling like oh the the government can just do anything they want uh you know there's a whole secret there's you know it just bred every possible paranoid conspiracy theory and and or justified it anyway. Um, and uh, and kind of changed the tenor of the of the country forever, really.
0: I really don't mean to be suggesting that we should be down on them for their journalistic skills. I'm just, I'm telling you what I'm seeing yeah. on the faces of the people that they keep grilling and what I hear in their voices as they keep saying, you know, you need to go away, but also just with this tone of everybody already knows what's going on.
1: I think one of the neat tensions in the film and it kind of connects with what you're talking about is the difference between ordinary bureaucracy getting in the way of things and conspiratorial bureaucracy getting in the way of things Um, where there's a whole trip to Miami where it is just a matter of this is just. You know things are not set up to be convenient things are not there's not really there's not really a secret being intentionally kept there it's just they can't get at it because there's just so much bureaucracy in the way and then later you just you find the ways that that uh, those are just it's used as a shield bureaucracy is used to, uh, to to protect people who have something to hide hi I'm um, Carl Bernstein. i got a 9.15 appointment. Ah, uh, yes,
0: Mr. Bernstein. I'm afraid that Mr. Dardis won't be able to see you this morning. His calendar is really quite full. Well,
2: it must be a mistake, because I, I made the appointment with him personally. I yes, called well, from Washington. Yes, the appointment yesterday.
0: should have been made through me. If you'd care to wait, I'll see if I can squeeze you in
2: later. Oh, thanks very much. I guess it's uh, difficult when he makes his own appointment.
0: Yes, well, we try to handle it
2: yeah and i mean you know and and really to get to build too on the point of how the story is is developed what i did appreciate and what i think the film is really keen on is um just that journalist instinct to know to kind of spot weakness and and pounce i mean you're talking you talked a little bit about you know you know jack jack lennon putting his foot in the door there is that element here of like okay this person is vulnerable and i I know I can get something from this person. I'm going to make sure that I get in that house and get the, and get get the piece of information that I need um you know where whereas there are other scenarios in which it's like i'm I'm only going to get this and I need to take what little bit I have here and move on to some other thing um so i I, I did appreciate the the film' sensitivity to you know just the very specific nature of being a reporter and doing good reporting
0: and good reporting but there's some some terrible human being a being i mean there's <laughs> yeah. that that interview with the woman who what you see of it on screen like she says I'm, I'm ready to be done talking about this I don't want to say anymore she says that on screen about 20 times and then the next time you see him he says something like I sat in that room for six hours and this is what I got out of it <laughs> <laughs> and every every like cell of skin on my back just like crawls up around my shoulders the thought of somebody forcing his way into my house and spending six hours asking me questions I, did, I don't want to answer and that I think I'll get fired or maybe shot if I answer (laughs) answer like there's a real interesting question to this about yeah like as important a secret as this was as important as it was to american politics that it gets out (laughs) like just how many people were wrecked in the making of this uh this coverage
2: well i want to talk just a little bit about alan J. pakula's approach uh pakula did another one of the great um 70s paranoid thrillers uh, the parallax view but i'd like to say that this film is maybe even more stripped down than that one, even though they share a pretty similar tone, um, it's a very straightforward. It's very un- unadorned. It's uh, you know, it's a procedural, as I said, in the introduction. So where where's the artistry here?
1: Oh, I think there's plenty of artistry. I think you're kind of selling it short in 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 many ways. There's some. The-
2: oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm saying. Oh. I'm not saying that as a rhetorical question. I'm asking, where's the artistry? You know, tell me, tell me where tell the me artistry where they, is. Okay, I'll tell you. Let's the, talk about the artistry of the, the film.
1: These very carefully set up compositions of, of Woodward and Bernstein just at work. Like the last shot of the movie is is such inc- so uh, spoilers. Uh, they take down Nixon, uh, but the the, the <laughs> there's them typing away as the soundtrack kind of carefully ratchets up the the sound of keyboards typing. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, uh, it's beautifully done. But I mean, I I you know could not be a bigger fan of Gordon Willis cinematographer uh, also known in some circles as the prince of darkness he, he's uh, um also famous for doing the godfather films and just sort of bathing things and in, in uh um, in, in Darkness my, my favorite quote is from about him either from him or I think it was from him talking about himself in the d- documentary Visions of Light where he's like did I take it too far sometimes yeah some, maybe sometimes Rembrandt took it too far too you know? <laughs> uh, but uh, um, but one interesting like how it's just so perfect for this movie how everything is bathed in shadow except for the newsroom which is just you know uh, uh, everyone drowns in the fluorescent lighting but it's also a place for that sheds light on things it's like the most literal contrast but it works so, so nice in the film, so um, and just like the slow, the slow pans, the very deliberate uh, way things are set up, and and uh, sort of careful editing rhythms. I, I mean, I think it's it's a it's a wonderfully made film, uh, even if it doesn't call attention to itself that often.
0: And there's that slow pull back to the ceiling of the Library of Congress mm, when they're yeah. doing research there. That is just a tremendous shot. You can see the camera swaying very, very slightly there, which makes me think it was like mounted on a boom as opposed to, to fixed to the ceiling. I'm not sure how they got or it. a crane.
2: But... It wouldn't be mounted on a boom.
0: Uh, well, that's, no, that's what I'm saying is like if it was on a crane, I feel like it would be more fixed. I, I actually feel like um, I'm thinking of something in uh, – Double Life of Veronique, where they actually got this shot of uh, the G- Veronique's ghost. It's supposed to be like swooping over the audience. And they actually ran the uh, the camera out on a wire and literally just like swung it over the audience's head. Like I, I I actually do feel in that shot like somebody has it on a boom and is just like holding it way out over the center because it's got that slight little bit of motion to it. It doesn't feel fixed in place, it feels wobbly. And maybe the crane was just a little wobbly or maybe the gimbal it was on yeah, was a I little would, wobbly would
2: guess that. But well, I, I don't know. It's, it's a nice just, shot.
0: One way or the other, it's a beautiful shot. And I mean, if you're going to talk about the darkness as uh, symbolic and the, the light in the newsroom being symbolic, you get those shots that are down in the uh, parking garage where Deep Throat is. Mm. And they're just there's so much deep shadow. And then he's standing in just this shaft of light that just illuminates his eyes. I mean, the, the depth of those shots and the use of lightness and, and darkness in those shots is pretty amazing. But for me, some of the artistry is just in how Wordward and Bernstein are characterized, like both in the dialogue and in simple things like, you know, how they dress and how they act. You know, Dustin, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is such an entertaining slob in this movie. He almost always has stains on his clothing. He's always rumpled. You know, he's got that beautifully feathered 70s hair, but the rest of him looks like it was just like picked up off the floor and put on. And he's the ultimate manspreader. spreader. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) Every time you see him, like if you look at any given shot of the two of them together where they're not working, where they're listening to editor Jason Robards pick pick apart their work or they're listening to – they're interviewing somebody in the newsroom trying to get information out of them. Or on a subway. Uh, Or (laughs) (laughs) Redford is like sitting with his knees together, like hunched forward, like gathered up and intense, intensely like intent on whatever he's doing. And Hoffman's like got his legs sprawled open, got his arms flopped out. (laughs) And he's slouching this like journalist slouch, the slouch of somebody who spends like 24 seven hunched over a typewriter. And it's just the amount of characterization that just goes into how they sit when they're talking to people is amazing to me. And it's so consistent throughout the movie.
2: Wow, I did, I did the, that's a great reading of the film. I was not uh, paying that that sharp of attention, but uh, I should I should look at that closer. I mean, I, I think I am just kind of odd. Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, um, I love the way the break in itself is staged uh, because I mean the the, the the movie does have a score, but not in that instance it's silent if i recall um and uh, there's
0: no music in this movie until 29 minutes in
2: yeah right and it's just i I like that and it's a very refifi type of thing to do just to like just cut out the sound let it happen and it's and it's also emphasizes of just you know this is just you know this something that happened in the middle of the night and it's not it wasn't you know they're not going to try to play it up or goose it up with a score it's just gonna it's just this quiet upending of our democracy (laughs) base one to unit one Is there anybody there? There's people. People on the balcony, armed people. Base one to unit one. Base one to unit one. You may have some problems. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those virtues that you can really feel now because movies now are so overwhelming. Uh, in terms of their sound, that 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 you really get a sense of what the power of silence is, mm-hmm. um, and this is and it's a movie um, that I mean the score when it does occur is is ominous and appropriate and, and pretty memorable, but um, but I think I think showing a little bit of restraint on that front and even making the score itself. Um, you know, pretty pretty minimal
1: in nature is a really uh, strong choice. Yeah, David Shire will will hit you over the head uh, music wise. He did the music to Taking a one 2 One, Two, Three, which is one of the best scores of the seventies. But yeah, it's, the restraint is really uh, effective here.
2: It's key, and it's key, and it sets the tone, which is the which is the key element of the movie for me i i think it's really it's the the film you know in the in the broadest strokes i mean when you when you really kind of look at it from that angle that you get at the library (laughs) or whatever i mean it's about the country and it's about the mood of the country and trying to find a way through the telling of this of this story of how uh this uh, of how watergate was broke being able to 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 use that as a way to, to Describe the way people were feeling at the time about the, the country they live in. So, um, uh, and, I, I, and that's all communicated through style.
0: Here's a fun little thing about that opening break-in. Did you happen to notice? There's the the cops that come in that are in plain clothes. They're both wearing these like weird felty fisherman hat type things. They're very very loud and very 70s. And one of them is kind of a beaky rumpled looking guy. He's the guy that says, you know, shouldn't the other car get it? They're in uniform. He's also the guy, uh, not the guy who uh, yells a profanity, but the guy who's like, you know, put your hands up and get out uh, get out from there. You know who that is? No. F. Marie Abraham. Him. Really? A young yet still very gnarled looking F. Murray Abraham <laughs> in a very small role but still very recognizable. Surprising. Didn't he didn't recognize him.
2: You know, he would probably, <laughs> I, you'd figured he'd find a way to really stand out knowing, <laughs> knowing F. Murray Abraham. Well,
0: it's hard to stand out when you're wearing a felt fisherman's cap. <laughs> and a, a
1: bit of trivia, the security guard um, in the film is actually the actual security guard who discovered the Watergate break-in.
0: I read that. Yeah. That's such a neat little yeah. like piece of, of fame is, you know, I, I made this discovery and i got to play myself in the film version and good for him man the the way that that is portrayed in the film is again so quiet and so subtle he just he happens to notice that there's a piece of tape over the lock Mm -hmm. and it's you could so easily see somebody missing that and the way pecula films it you can just see that it's this guy's attention to detail like change the history of the country so,
2: let me ask you this how well did you, could you follow the story i mean how How well could you follow all of the names i mean do you see do you feel like when uh, when Americans went to see this movie that they were so familiar with the basic figures involved that they they could just dive right in in a little in sort of a shorthand way?
0: I think the film certainly thinks so. I mean, when I was watching it, I I definitely, whenever they'd come around to somebody like Haldeman, I'd go, yes, Haldeman. I know that name. I I know what his part in all of this is. But there were so many names I wasn't familiar with. But at the same time, as you're watching the film, there are all these little things happening in the background. You get all of these little uh, like radio reports or TV reports of things that are going on, uh, like Bobby Fischer. Um, defaulting, like, one of the matches because of the noise the TV cameras were making. And that's just completely background noise. There's this great moment at one point where Redford is having a really important conversation on the phone, and in the background, uh, McGovern is dumping Eagleton as his running mate. And... All of these people in the newsroom are running over to the TV and like building up in a huge crowd and responding to what they're seeing on this TV in the the really deep background. And unless you know what that historical moment was, like I I had no idea what was going on. I had to run it back because you're paying attention to Redford getting this really important piece of information. And in the meantime, there's this exciting thing happening that is never explained. Like you later see a headline about it. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff that goes on here that was meant for people of the time who had lived with these headlines for months and knew all, like all of the bit players because they also knew this was all part of their like recent and immediate history.
1: I think also, I think we should maybe back up and think about how remarkable it is how quickly this movie was turned around mm. too. I, I think there is a little bit of that too because I, I'm not a Watergate expert and it, it was, I was a tiny, tiny boy when all this was going on. Uh, so Haldeman from Mitchell I couldn't know, t- t- tell you that much about but kind of expects you to know who G. Gordon Liddy is because he had kind of an afterlife as a personality after this. So when they get that line. Of- about g gordon liddy holding his hand above a candle and 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 letting the 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 flame sear him like yeah, we never see liddy in the film um but you know if you know who that is and i mostly know him because he was kind of a talk show and a talk show personality into the 80s he was like a Dabbled in acting. You leaned to the right, advice. If I yeah, yeah. He was like a right-wing a right bullhard in the '80s and on, on talk shows a lot, and and just a t- mustachioed tough guy. And um, he's still around, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, um, that's that, that's so. I knew exactly who they were talking about. But but yeah, I think there was understandably a more a greater sense of people would be familiar with the story because it was you know, two years after the book, like less, probably less than 24 months after the book came out and, and Nixon resignation was, was fresh. And I, can you imagine turning around a news story, a feature film about a news story that took place two years ago? Now I, it just doesn't, I've never seen it. does not, it's not done no. documentaries for sure. But or I mean, TV movies. Yeah. I well, mean, the other, well, mean, the other movies, important yeah. thing
2: about that too, it's not just the, not just being capable of doing it, just the will to do it. it right. Right. I mean, just because, uh, you know, uh, Anytime, anytime, some major political event happens here, you know. Now it's like we have to wait a forever to, to get any kind of response from the movies, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the biggest exception obviously is Zero Dark Thirty, which was about a year after after uh, Bin Laden was killed, but that was kind of rewritten on the fly, if i if I remember correctly, to yeah. to include that. And I mean, United ninety three was how many years? Few, if was Wasn't I immediate. Think, I think five years after. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, it was five. And even that, I mean, that felt in some ways that felt too soon in a way uh to me uh watching it I, I think i'd i think i have a greater appreciation for that movie now than i did at the
2: time yeah, i mean but, well and I, I think you can also look at the film like the walk which has really which is kind of a stealth 9-11 movie completely tanked mm-hmm. i think it's, it's still people don't want to see that, don't want to think about the world trade center but but wait, I think wait, was, wait, have, wait, have you, audiences changed you, you know?
0: blame that on the world trade I center do. and not on the fact that it's an like, awesome movie well <laughs> that everyone should see the walk
1: great it's good you liked it right i'm gonna say it's good i'm gonna say it's good
0: yeah sorry. i i didn't see it because i was just horrified oh you should go see it for sure it's like the, would, the, last, the last
2: like half is phenomenal
1: it's yeah like... looking back to what we were talking about um <laughs> <laughs> nice. welcome to welcome to, the, welcome to the walk cast um is it is it worth questioning whether or not we're, we're as open to f- openly political films now as we were as as uh, as a country in the 70s i mean um you know, it seems like it's harder and harder to get things through with. I think emphatically we're not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: if you look at like the, the outcry over zero dark 30 or even the outcry over Selma and how it was, how it handled LBJ, which was like (laughs) two minutes of its runtime, right? Like anything with any sort of political bent is going to get razzed by somebody somewhere. And I would think that studios, you know, being notorious uh, controversy fearers, would be avoiding anything that is automatically going to polarize the audience.
2: It amazes me that All the President's Men, where all of the people involved were still around and causing trouble, that the film was able to be a Best Picture nominee. I mean, ultimately lost to Rocky in one of the most famous... uh, I mean, i got to give you the Best Picture nominees this year (laughs) because, uh, because it's absurd that Rocky beat these films. All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, Network, Taxi Driver. I guess I guess Rocky is kind of like a. That Rocky is actually which a pretty is it, good movie.
0: You should which probably one is see not it.
2: Not like the other one. Which one?
0: You should probably see it. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I like Rocky,
2: but those other films. <laughs> I like it. I like it more than Taxi Network,
0: but, Driver.
2: But I understand Network is. <laughs> What's I, that one about? I acknowledge Network's influence, despite my objections <laughs> to it. Um, so, uh, but it is. It's unusual um, to have a film that that is so. Uh, so political get that kind of to get made period and then get acknowledged um you know and certainly to get made on a on a scale i mean this is a major studio film selma was not a, not it was was i guess it was a major studio film as well but also but made it a, a very low budget for such a project and we just we don't see it very often there's no motivation i guess uh you know the audiences don't expect it or want
0: it
1: as long as we're going down that path by the way uh beat out pakula for best directing and uh it also beat out all the president's men for best editing
0: so here's the thing though is this a political movie I mean, it's about a political, it's about politicians in a political situation. And it's about, you know, the unseating of American president. But ultimately, it's not like it doesn't feel biased. There's not a lot of, you know, oh, you know, that tricky dick and the stuff he gets up to. There's not even a lot of statements about politicians and politics. It's really just kind of about two men on a mission to discover the truth. And in theory, that's something that, you know, all politicians would probably give some lip service to.
1: My favorite, one of my favorite moments of the film is is the is the look that uh bernstein shoots woodward Woodward, Woodward says yeah i'm a republican too Um, (laughs) (laughs) but i think it may speak to what you're talking about though that that uh insofar as that's true uh, then he is just another guy trying to figure out the truth you know a crime was committed and these we should find the people who did it
2: they wanted to run against mcgovern look who they're running against they
0: bugged they followed people false press leaks fake letters They canceled Democratic campaign rallies. They investigated Democratic private lives. They planted spies, stole documents, and on
2: and on. Now, don't tell me you think this is all the work of little Don Segretti. Well, I don't know. See, my thing, I wasn't there at the time, uh, so I don't know what the atmosphere was. But I would think that um, the resignation of a sitting Republican president would probably uh, uh, get some republicans up in arms (laughs) um but uh again i wasn't there so so somebody who was uh who was an adult and not a four-year-old at the time
0: uh i'm just saying there's a speaking of adult this is a very adult movie this is a very intellectual movie it's a very removed movie it's a like a very thoughtful movie about a process it's not about a bad man who got punished for being bad you know, there's I just I don't sense a whole lot of like political polemicizing or political bias in this.
2: No, I mean, maybe that's just, you know, maybe that's just the end result. I mean, really, they don't. The The film ends with uh, with Richard Nixon getting <laughs> inaugurated. Right. I mean, you know, you only you don't get the, the, the information about him having to resign is just, that's all postscript.
0: Which I got to tell you, this—that that is honestly, I think it's a terrible ending for a movie. Oh no. I've heard this I
1: before. Other this... people have said this too. I like it, but uh, go ahead.
0: I, well, all right. I'm, I'm definitely okay, very, very, very curious to hear your arguments for it. To me, this feels like we got like the first half to two thirds of a tremendous movie. And then they ran out of money. I mean, it really just Mm. that moment where they're sitting there typing, it's like, you know, they've come this far and they're on to the next thing. And they've like, they've driven a wedge deep within it. And now we're going to see them like follow it up the rest of the way. And then you just sort of get a postscript that's Poochie went back to his home planet.
1: I think the story ends when they find the story they can run that tells the whole story. You know, I think that is what the film is and sort of the, sound effects of them typing while everything's going on I think ends up getting louder and louder like the actual story kind of overwhelming the the, the events themselves I think is, is what this movie is, is how this movie should
0: end. it's a strong symbol but it's a symbol for like a lot more story that is just not covered
1: all the president's men part two
0: two, 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 <laughs> thing, two
2: things two two things to rebut because I love the ending of this movie
0: yay we're disagreeing okay, one
2: one is that we, we already talked about this earlier that the scene the scene where uh, they're working on their story while in the background other people are watching uh you know mcgovern and you know what i'm saying so that happened so it's kind of it reflects that i mean it's the same sort of visual right i mean you're you're getting the image of uh the inauguration happening and then there's other business right okay so, so it's an interesting kind of back to business thing that's happening uh and then and then also to to reinforce what keith said i mean the die has been cast i mean they've already done their part, and then the wheels are now in motion, and then the and then the country itself uh, you know our political process, our government it takes it the rest of the way and so I feel like it ends where, properly, which is the end of this story, the end of what Woodward and Bernstein contribute to it. And then the rest, of the rest plays out properly in postscript.
0: Bah, I say bah. <laughs> this is a movie about two men chasing the truth, and it doesn't follow them until they get all the way to the truth. It follows them up to an important moment in the process, but as you say, they've put the wheels in motion. I want them to get to the fireworks factory. I like watching the bus drive along the road towards the fireworks factory is not entirely satisfying. And given the pacing of this movie, I mean, there is there is a, a point where we sit and watch Redford. I think. It is At that moment, sit silently on hold for a good 30 seconds while uh, the librarian goes and checks with somebody and comes back with a whole new story. Like, we literally just watch him silently on hold. We watch the two of them in the Library of Congress during that long, long pullback. We spend so much time watching them, uh, like, from that overhead. I don't know if it's a crane or a helicopter or what, but pulling in and out of that parking lot. This is a film that really enjoys its downtime and its process and its slow, languorous moments. But by the time we get to the end, I just feel like you hit your two hours and you're done. Like, where's the rest of the story? But, well, and I what, want the rest what, of the what,
2: story. But where, what? What more do they have to do? They've done. They've done the work. <laughs> it's the it's work. over for them. Like I just think their role is they're, they're done with their role, and then the rest sort of plays out as it is. I mean, I and I actually kind of like the fact that that they that despite all of the work that they've done. You know, Nixon gets reelected. You know, and and uh, and so the process kind of continues. But but I think they've they've done their part. They've they, they've cast the die, and and uh, and that's when the movie's supposed to end.
0: Scott, you ignorant slut. <laughs> yeah, um, I, this is just a. This may just be a taste thing. Like I think that if we didn't know where this movie was going, if it wasn't such an intimate part of history, if we weren't so excited to see the the story broken that we know is there. This might be a very boring movie because it's it's so quiet. It's so slow and it's so process focused. And what keeps us in there is knowing that the truth is out there and that they're going to find it. And the fact that we don't follow them all the way, it's it's never going to not bug me.
2: I don't know. I mean, they, they, these are a couple of reporters. How, how much can they do? They can't, they can't, they can't like, uh, history you know. gives you the answer. To that I, think, I, think, are you looking, I think you're looking for a scene where they're actually like carrying his stuff out of the oval. No, no,
0: I'm looking for the scene where they they pull the hot paper off the presses, they walk up to the White House, they walk into the office, they slam it down on his desk, and they're like, In your face, Richard Nixon.
1: I know it's, a, been I know it's a freeze
0: long. frame with the two of them with their thumbs up in the air.
1: It's, it's a leap, but think of the X Files as like one long sequel to this, and maybe that'll, that'll help. Uh... The truth is up. All right, we'll
2: leave it there. On the next episode we'll have our forum on all the president's men and bring spotlight into the spotlight so please join us for that